0: Let's open up our Bibles to uh Matthew chapter 5. I do appreciate everything that Mick shared and uh also want to say it was his it was his debut since I've been here uh you know to come up and do something in front of the congregation and that was very encouraging. Uh, very grateful for your faithfulness and uh, just those things that you shared. And we're very grateful your mom missed and that uh you're here to share it. You've got to be pretty wound up to go after a guy like Mick, i got to say. But, um, you know, it is amazing. Uh, I knew he was waiting for something there, you know, when he was pausing. But I didn't know if the first person that said something was going to get picked on, so I was kind of like <laughs> holding back a little bit. And then interestingly, uh, the sermon today is, Blessed are those who are persecuted, so I was kind of you know struggling. What should I do? We're going to finish up the Beatitudes. We actually started these back in October and we took a little break in the new year just to focus on uh, really the church and this idea of the church being a light to the world. And uh, we're back now into the Sermon on the Mount. So for the next couple of months I'll be preaching through Matthew uh, chapters 5 to 7. But we're going to focus today on this last Beatitude. And we have in in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount these blessings that Jesus pronounces. But they are not conventional wisdom. You know, some of the Bible translations in English say, Happy are those. And it does seem quite ironic when it can say, Happy are those who mourn. Since if you're mourning, like, how can you be happy? I mean, it's, they're, they're, they seem contradictory. But this word blessed is really a word of, of about assurance and joy and confidence that you have when God has promised you something. It's it's really only something God can give. And so these are pronouncements, not of how the world is going to treat us, but pronouncements of how God wants to treat us and what kind of attitude that God wants us to have. Attitudes that in fact He will bless and He will really um, bring something amazing into our lives. And this final one is really a challenging one. Blessed, let's just read this together, verse ten. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted. I mean, how many people want to be persecuted? You know, just woke up this morning. You know, oh, I'd like a coffee and uh, some, and uh, maybe a you know a croissant and some persecution. it's it's definitely not something we're wanting. In fact, more often we kind of, you know, maybe we don't think about it immediately, but the thought crosses our mind usually with the first person we meet is, will they like me? Not, will they persecute me? You know, will people be kind? Will they be polite? Is this going to be a pleasant day? But the Scripture says here, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Sorry, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, what's interesting is this, this beatitude shows above all the others even that this isn't a response of the world. In other words, what is being promised here isn't that the world is somehow going to treat you awesomely because you're pleasing to God. In fact, we know that that's not what we're promised but if we live a life pleasing to God, if we live by faith, God is a, a God who blesses, and it's faith that connects us to God from our side. But God blesses us because of His love and His grace. You know, look at some of the Beatitudes we've we've uh, talked about already. Blessed are those who mourn; they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Just picking a few of them. But what we know is that this is really God's response to us. And the meek, they don't, they're do not they not the winners, usually in the world. Uh, peacemakers aren't always appreciated in the world. This comfort, inheritance, mercy, honor... It's not the world that's guaranteeing them to us, it's God. And so we need to understand that we'll be blessed if we're persecuted, not because the world blesses us, but because God blesses us. God gives us something internal, something that can make us confident, an assurance that we are in fact doing the right thing. He also says this phrase, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's interesting, I'm calling this eighth one the last one, though you know there's nine Beatitudes. But even as you look in the text, in most of the English versions, you'll see the first eight are written sort of poetically, and then the eleventh is written sort of in prose. And again, that's, that's kind of showing that the, 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 the last one, the ninth, really is just an expansion of the eighth. And so uh, we're, we're going to study them both together, that, that really the eighth and the ninth, but they're really the same. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. The kingdom of heaven is the reign of God in our hearts. The kingdom of heaven isn't something visible that you can see. But the kingdom of heaven is a relationship that we have with God. And if we are acting righteously and we suffer for it, you have to believe that God is working in your life. That God is going to do something great in your life. Let's look at some of the words of Jesus. Look over in John 15. Now, the good news is this isn't necessarily every day, and it's not to the death necessarily. Uh, The odds of us even being tortured in this country for being Christians is still quite remote. Though the day may come. The day may come when in this country it's illegal. And you might think, well Andy, how could that ever happen? Well just think of where the the country has come in a hundred years. In its attitude towards towards Christianity. If we keep moving away from a faith in God and a faith in the scriptures, where will we be a hundred years from now? And see, honestly, we've got to see something here that there is a time coming, even in this country. And maybe it is already. In fact, for most it is. To say you're a Christian doesn't make you popular with people. To stand up for what the Bible says and say, I believe this is God's Word, that doesn't win you friends most of the time. Interestingly though, When it does win you friends, they're good friends. When it does bring people together, it really connects them. And we can just see that looking around this room. You think about all the different backgrounds we have, uh, ethnically and culturally and racially and everything, and yet here we are all together. Because God is doing something among us. It's not just our own devices. Look here in John 15 verse 18 John 15:18 it says if the world hates you keep in mind that it hated me first so if the world ever hates us first point we're in good company the world hated Jesus see sometimes we think you know if i just live the christian life the right way no one will bother me everyone will appreciate me Actually, if you live the Christian life the right way, you're going to have problems. Because you, in the end, won't be popular with everyone. Jesus said, don't be surprised. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. You know, Jesus. the story of Jesus is well known by many people in that they know that a man named Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. They They know that He claimed to be the Son of God. They know that He was a good man and that He performed miracles and did wonders and signs. That's how the story goes. But they also know He was put to death. He was put to death even though He did nothing wrong. Now, if you can persecute a guy who does nothing wrong, what's that mean for us? And if we live our Christian lives perfectly, in other words, as close to Jesus as possible, what's going to happen to us? There's going to be moments of difficulty. But Jesus would tell you it's worth it. He would tell you that even if the world hates you, that's okay. Because my Father in Heaven loves you and you love Him. And that is enough. You know, one of the challenges we will face as Christians is being politically correct. Because if you're a Christian, I can just tell you already, you're politically incorrect. You have decided that one faith is true above all others. And in fact, just looking at the Scriptures, if you believe this is is God's Word, you're already dismissing the, the majority of the world's religions completely. Judaism is the only one where you might have a little bit of a connection to. But if you say, this is God's Word, do you realize that you're judging all the other Scriptures as not being of God? And that's so politically incorrect. But see, we're not here to judge others. We're here to state the truth. And if the truth judges, it does. Look back in John chapter 3. It's a very well-known scripture, John 3.16, about God sending His Son because He loved this world. But let's just pick this up in verse 19. It says, "...this is the verdict..." Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed." See, if we're truly going to be the Christians God wants us to be, and and he goes on to talk about this in the next few chapters of of Matthew right after the Beatitudes, if we're going to be the light on the hill, if we're going to be the salt of the earth, then we're going to be passing on a message to the world that we've received from God. And that message won't make us popular. Popular. Because the message is that God had to send His Son to die as a sacrifice for our sins, and there's no other way to be saved except Jesus Christ. And if you want to receive that forgiveness, you must come to God and repent. Change your mind and your heart. And you must surrender your life and your will to God. Now, do you think that's going to go over well? Do you think that's the message that everyone wants to hear? The Bible condemns certain things as sin. And these actions, if continued in, will keep you from eternal life with God. And whether it's deceit, whether it's lust, whether it's adultery, whether it's homosexuality, and I could go down this list, drunkenness, if you continue in those things, there is no salvation. Does the world want to hear this? Do we want to hear it? See, we think about think about a world without those sins. Think about how much good would be in this world. You look a little further in John chapter seven. Jesus' brothers were going to go up to the feast, and they said, "Come with us." And he was kind of, trying to explain to them, you guys are kind of free to go wherever you want to. I'm not quite that free. And so, uh, you know, let's pick this up in verse 6. It says, Therefore Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify what it does is evil. Actually, it said a little earlier, his brothers hadn't yet made their mind up to be disciples of Jesus. And so they weren't yet following him. And if they're not following him, the world wouldn't hate them. And so Jesus was making it clear, if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to be the same kind of light to the world that I am. And we testify that what the world does is evil. Now let's look over Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And you're thinking, where's going to be the positive point here? What well, is coming? It's coming. But I think what we need to understand is simply the nature of persecution, the nature of people standing against us. You know, persecution isn't always somebody like, you know, uh, coming at you physically. Persecution isn't always done with billboards or, you know, radio or, you know, some kind of printed article. Persecution is simply an attitude and often expressed in action from one group to another, negatively trying to hurt them, trying to put them down. Look here in Philippians 3, we'll pick this up in verse 17. Paul says, "Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as often I, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven." And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like His glorious body. You know, last week we talked about living in heaven forever. If we're going to live in heaven forever, we've got to go through a few transitions. You know, when you're young, the idea of losing this body maybe isn't that exciting. But the older you get, you know, you kind of go, that's just not such a bad deal. <laughs> you know, this one's kind of used up. I'm looking forward to a new one. And, you know, uh, uh, I would just happened to have my trifocals noticed by somebody before church. And someone said, uh, you don't see many of those these days. You know, but uh, I didn't even wear glasses ten years ago. Now I'm wearing trifocals so I can see you. (laughs) You know, there's a purpose. But either I choose without the... Either I have my reading glasses, I read the Bible, I can't see you. Or I choose the, uh, you know, not the glasses and I can see you, but I can't read anything. So this is my happy medium right here. But you know, it's all a sign of age. And it's going to pass. But what Paul says here is very important to understand. How can we be friends of the world and friends of Christ at the same time when the world put Christ to death? And in fact, we understand that we are also responsible for His death. But by acknowledging that, God calls us out of the world. He brings us out of the world so that we can be with Him. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ and that is the world we live in and i think we've uh, you know we've got to ask ourselves just how it's going uh, look over in second uh, timothy chapter 3 you know paul said remember the my way of life remember the pattern of life look over in second timothy chapter 3 paul continues this We'll pick it up in verse 10. He says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. Sounds pretty good up to here, right? My purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. Well, these are great things. And then he goes, persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, if you've not yet been persecuted, there's a challenge in this to you. Because it says that if you want to live a godly life, you will get persecuted. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Any idiot can get persecuted. It's not hard to do. But what he's saying here is, if you live a godly life, the world will take offense at your life. Your life is going to call them to decision. And this is important because you can't live your Christian life with a closed mouth. You can't live your Christian life and nobody knows it. Wow, I'm getting the best of of both worlds. I'm a Christian on Sunday and then all during the week, I'm an undercover Christian. (laughs) And nobody else knows. And they just treat me like one of the boys or one of the girls. It's great. But then comes Sunday and everybody knows I'm a Christian. No one sings louder than me. No one. Oh man. I just love the worship team. But where's our spirit of worship on Monday? Where's our spirit of worship to the world? Do they see what we who we really are? And see if we figured out a way to sort of do Christianity to kind of keep it low profile. I'll tell you, that's not Christianity. That's living as an enemy of the cross. We read the Peter, the story of Peter denying Jesus, and none of us doubts he did the, the wrong thing. They said, do you know Him? Your accent gives you away. And he said, No, I don't. Are we standing up for Christ? You know, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Let's go back to Matthew. And we'll just finish the Beatitudes there, number 9. Okay, so Matthew chapter 5 and verse... 11 and 12, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, it gets a little more specific. He says, people are going to insult you, they'll persecute you, and they will say false things against you. Don't you hate it when you're treated unfairly? But see, that's what happens when people become negative. They start exaggerating and making things worse than they are and and saying things about you that aren't true. Now, you can be persecuted for a Christian and people are actually quoting you. They can be quoting your words, but they don't agree with them, and the world hates what we say if we're saying the words of Christ. We're going to spend the rest of this sermon just in the book of 1 Peter. Let's turn over there. And Peter knew what persecution was about, Peter also knew what it was like to deny Jesus. And I'll tell you, he denied Jesus the night Jesus was betrayed, the day before he was crucified. Peter denied knowing Jesus. And when the rooster crowed, he went away and he wept bitterly. But the good news about Peter is, he repented and he changed. And early church tradition, which is quite reliable, it's in many different places, Peter was crucified upside down when they went to crucify Him, He said, I don't want to be crucified like Jesus. Crucify me upside down. And they did. And uh, you know, he, that, that's how He died. And it was sometime in the 60s. You know, probably 30-something years after Jesus was crucified. But that was after living a faithful Christian life. And you know what Peter realized? It, Jesus, What Jesus said was true. All of it. And Jesus said, if you want to be righteous, you will be persecuted. Don't be surprised. Though we always are. Look at 1 Peter 2. We'll just pick this up. Verse 13. It says, "...submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men." whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king." You know, submission is not a popular word in our society. Submission, actually submitting to someone else, giving up your freedom to do what someone else wants you to, that's not popular. But the Bible talks a lot about submission. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm above the law. I don't need to pay taxes. It doesn't work. You don't get a tax-free card. But Andy, the government, I don't agree with what they're going to spend the money on. Guess what? They will answer to God. We should obey the government or any earthly authority that's in our life. We should obey them up until the point they contradict what God has specifically commanded us to do. So if you're in a country that says you can't evangelize, you can't share your faith, a disciple still shares his faith. If you're in a country that says it's illegal to convert to Christianity, if you want to follow God, you're going to convert to Christianity. You're going to do what needs to be done. Pilate's authority was from God. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate? And Pilate's like, hey, I'm trying to, give me a break. I'm trying to help you. I have the authority, he said, to set you free. And Jesus looked right at him and said, You don't have any authority except which that God has given to you. Ultimately, everyone acting in authority must give account to God. Well, let's just read a little further here. Verse 18. "...slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God." Now, I'm not going to get even to how politically incorrect it is to talk about slavery. But the Bible here isn't condoning slavery. It's not saying slavery's right or wrong here. In fact, Christians that were slaves, 1 Corinthians 7, were encouraged to get their freedom if they could. But on the other hand, if you were a slave and couldn't get your freedom, What the Scripture says to you as a Christian is be content in your circumstance and just do your best because you have a Master in Heaven and your Master also does. And God will work through you. Now, is that counterintuitive for us? And you might say, you know, that's not really applicable. Well, most of us here are contracted workers. We've actually made a deal with somebody that they'll pay us a certain amount if we do some kind of work for them. Now the self-employed people go, no, no, not me. Well, That's a whole different scenario. But you, you know what I'm talking about. When you have a job, there's expectation on you. And you made a commitment. But do we just work hard when someone's looking? we act differently when the boss isn't around or our line manager isn't there? Or do we work the same no matter what? Because that's what we were paid to do and we agreed. Now people weren't typically slaves by agreement. But it was a life circumstance and they needed to accept it. But you know it says here, if you get beaten and you're doing something wrong There's nothing commendable in it If you pay your traffic fines There's nothing commendable in it Now submit to the authorities and pay whatever you need to pay But if we'd submitted in the first place We wouldn't be paying the fine, right? But what's going on here? You know, if we take if we really are respectful of authority, you're not going to be liked on the workplace. Because what do people talk about as soon as the boss leaves the room? And if you're the boss, I'm really sorry to break your bubble right here. But if you're a parent, you know what happens when you leave the you know leave the house for a couple of hours. Hopefully, you know, not too much. But you know what I'm saying here, okay? That the truth is lots of times when the figure of authority leaves The standard of behavior falls. But see, Christians can't buy into that. Christians need to live according to what the scriptures say. And even if we have to suffer for it, we need to do, we need to submit ourselves to authority. Look a little further, it says, "...to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed." For you are like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and and overseer of your souls. You know, it's interesting. We look at the, the life of Jesus and we think, well, He did all that so we could be saved. But the path He had to follow was to submit Himself to authorities that didn't fear God, that were deceitful, that in fact misused their authority, and they made Him suffer. And see, how did it feel to Jesus? It felt terrible to be insulted and to be called a liar and to be judged and be put to death. He was tortured and He suffered. But He did that for us. What's interesting is God uses suffering to actually refine us, but He also uses it to witness to the world. Even one of the soldiers there, when Jesus was crucified, looking at Jesus' die, said, Surely He must be the Son of God. Those, you know, obviously not understanding the full implications, but at least a godly man. When he watched how Jesus died, he saw the truth about Jesus. Sometimes the truth about who we are only comes out in difficulty, in insult, in hardship. In persecution you know this doesn't mean we can't appeal remember what Paul did when they were trying to hand him over to the Jews he appealed to Caesar we have rights as citizens of this country as well we can make appeal actually it's, it's going it's happening already in our society at large Christ, Christians are beginning to play the minority card that they're being persecuted for being a minority and it's happening in the workplace, it's happening in various situations, and it's starting to move that way. And this was a card only played by other religions a few years ago. But now Christians are saying we're being uh, treated badly because of our faith. You know, the government, I mean, the the Bible doesn't say we can't appeal, but it's not for us to go against the government to, have, to make a revolution. Look in chapter 3. We we'll Read verse 13. It says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Okay, what's the answer to that? Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? No one? What did we just talk about? You're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus was eager to do good. Was, were people out to harm Him? Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Think about it. Evil people. If you are eager to do good, evil people will want to harm you. Because your life will convict them. The word convict means to shed light on, to expose. To expose. You will show them for what they are. Who's going to harm you? Those that hate the light and don't want their deeds exposed will harm you. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart, Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. You know, when people are against us, it's hard to feel gentleness and respect, right? You feel irritated, you feel edgy. And yet what the Scripture is saying is, understand your life. We need to be a light to this world. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now let's just close by looking over First Peter chapter 4. It says, "Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Now every time somebody treats us poorly as Christians, how do we feel? Surprised. Because we're like, don't you realize I'm eager to do good? Don't you realize I'm really trying to help you? Have you ever tried to help somebody and it wasn't appreciated? Have you ever tried to give some good advice to someone about maybe they're drinking or their smoking or they're you know some addiction that they have and it wasn't appreciated? Have you ever tried to just open the Bible with somebody and it wasn't appreciated? Don't be surprised! As so though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You know, just picture it. What would it be like if Jesus came to you know the table at the lunch room where you have lunch? What would his conversation be about? What would he be like? Would we be embarrassed? Oh, I can't believe it. Jesus, Jesus, don't bring up eternal life with these guys, okay? They're just not ready for that. Jesus, don't don't go talking about God's plan, okay? I mean, honestly, wouldn't you be nervous a little if if you were walking around with Jesus? Wouldn't you? But see, think about it. Because at some level, isn't that exactly what we're doing already? Isn't that what it really means to be a Christian? When we sit around with a group of people, don't we believe Jesus is there too? When we're on the street or when we're at home with our family, don't we believe Jesus is there too? You know, I like that little poster. Some people have it at, in the doorway. You know, Jesus, the Jesus, the invisible a uh, guest at every meal or something like that. You know, He's he's here. You know, you can make a great movie about it. He's here. You know, He's here. Do we really believe He's here? I think if we followed Jesus around for a day, there'd be moments of great nervousness. Especially when, like, the religious guys came into town, Right? Oh no, okay, well, that's going to be tough. But you know, just with everybody. But there would be nervousness too. Because when he saw someone down and out, he went and touched them and helped them. And if we had that kind of heart, how would we make our friends feel? Or just the acquaintances around us? Are we really living on the edge of imitating Jesus? Because the more that we imitate Him, The more eager we are to do good, the more the world will react to who we are. And the more the world will become uncomfortable with us. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. What's a meddler? just someone who sticks their nose in someone else's business. That's a tempting thing for Christians. Kind of stick our noses in. More tempting probably than murder or being a thief. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Boy, did Peter change or what? He wouldn't even admit he knew Jesus. Back in Acts 5, they took Peter and John prisoner, and then they set them free after they beat them, and it says they, can, they were rejoicing because they were considered worthy to suffer for the name. Boy, a lot changed in Peter's life. But he made a full commitment to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who are suffering according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. You know, what happens in the trial of Jesus. As you look at His disciples run away, we look at Judas betray Him, we look at Herod make His judgment, Pilate make another, the religious leaders make their own judgment. Every time they judged Jesus, who was really being judged? They were. They were being shown, they were being exposed, for what they really were. And see, this is one of the ministries of being a Christian. That we are here to be the light of God, to really be the message of God in this world. And some people don't like the lights. You know, I'm going to say this again. Um, We've got to understand uh, that we're not going to be always politically correct a lot of things that are legal that are not righteous premarital sex is legal as long as you're above a certain age and, and why there has to be an age on that that's a whole another interesting discussion why, how it's somehow at 16 or whatever the age is it becomes okay that's, an, that's a good question but you know, the law makes these arbitrary decisions. Sometimes a fetus has no rights, but if it's been given birth to, suddenly it has rights. But the same fetus could be aborted with no rights. Makes no sense. Homosexuality. There are people out there saying, I'm homosexual because I was born that way. You know, we are born sexual. But a lot of this is, there's no, you're not born homosexual or even heterosexual per se. You're born a sexual being. You can be monosexual your whole life, it can just be you and you. God's made us so that we learn. You know, we, we, what people don't like to be told by anybody, even by their own physical body, is you can't do that. They don't like to be in submission even to nature of things. And yet you look at the disease and, you know, the great epidemic of the last two decades has been AIDS. And AIDS is connected to homosexuality and immorality. These two things have done more to spread it than anything else. And yet people still like, yeah, but, you know, we're learning how to deal with it. We're learning how to... God made us. I mean, if you can't figure out that woman and man are different... God made us a certain way. But there are people that live even in rebellion to that. Now you know, I'm not, I'm not here... We, we, the Bible speaks strongly about sin. And you can even say God hates sin. But also we need to realize the Bible, that, that God loves sinners. And we need to separate the two. Sometimes we just classify people with their sin. But we need to love everyone. We need to love a murderer. We need to love a thief. We need to love a homosexual. We need to love everyone. But see, at the same time, we need to hate sin. You know, I believe, and just, just listen to this, to hold on to our Christian faith, I believe what will be, and I hope, you know, when this comes true, I don't know, but I think our our stance that homosexuality is a sin, based on what the Bible teaches, will become an incredible persecution point in the next twenty years. It's on the way. And we're going to be told that's you can't say that. But the Bible says it. And if Jesus was here, he would say it. And we might as well get used to the idea that there's only one truth and it was spoken by God. And we need to conform to that truth. It's that truth that saves us. But it's also that truth that judges us. If you're not comfortable with the idea of truth and judgment, then why are you a Christian? It's truth that brings us to this, okay? Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, we have brothers and sisters that live in the Middle East. And for me, they're heroes. Because they live in circumstances where in some of the countries it's illegal to be a Christian and it's a death sentence to try to convert a Muslim to Christianity. But if you're truly a disciple of Jesus, you have no choice but to do what you can to help others come to faith in Him, whether they're Muslim or not. Just a few months ago, Actually, now it's a couple of years ago, but I was going into Lebanon. It was my first visit into Lebanon, and I was in Amman, Jordan. And I'd been to Israel a little earlier, and so I had an Israeli stamp in my passport. And so uh, I was told, and just as good good travel advice, you won't get let into Lebanon if you have an Israeli stamp in your passport. Uh, it's it's the truth. They are at war still, and so you can't you can't. Sort of be a friend of one country and a friend of the other. And so, anyways, I'd been to Israel, then I was in Amman, Jordan, and my, my itinerary was taking me to, uh, uh, to uh, Lebanon the next day. And uh, one of the guys said, You know, do you have any Israeli stamps in your passport? One of my friends in Amman. And I said, Yeah, I do. And he said, Well, then you can't get into uh, Lebanon. You have to go to the Canadian embassy and get a new passport immediately, which I did. And it was rush job, two hours, new passport. And, of course, they're like, when will you guys learn? You know, this is the guy at the embassy. Don't you know you can't go to Lebanon? I go, well, I do now. Never been to Lebanon before. I didn't know that. So, anyways, I got a brand new passport. So, you know, I take, I've got the old one now. It's in my It's in my suitcase. But but I got and I have to keep the old one because there's some visas and stuff in it that I needed. So I, I've got the old one, but I got the new one now. So I go to the border at Lebanon at the Lebanese border, and uh, the guy goes, um, "Oh, this this passport's brand new. It's good. And you got it in Amman yesterday." And and he goes, "Why did you get this?" And I said, do you want me to answer that question? And he said, yes. And I said, well, my old passport has an Israeli stamp in it. He goes, no! Don't tell me that! And I said, but you asked the question. Now, I still have my other passport, and he's being filmed right now, not recorded, but filmed. So he's looking at this passport, and he's kind of like... Um, he goes. Um, he goes. Do you have that passport with you? I said yes. He goes. No. <laughs> he goes. Uh, he goes. I'm not supposed to let you in the country. I said, look, I'm a Christian minister. I've come here to visit a church. I mean, it's up to you. He's looking at me like, here, take it and get out of here, and don't tell anybody I let you through. <laughs> but I didn't promise. That's my, like, little moment, you know, of sort of Middle East tension, you know what I'm saying? But we have brothers, you know, this this happened to one of our brothers in the church in, in Iraq, got pulled over, and he's from northern Iraq, where actually it's predominantly Muslim. And this was right in 2003, when things were absolutely crazy. And they pulled over the bus, and... Like the, the, the Christians have kind of grouped in one area of Iraq and they all sort of speak with a similar dialect. But they weren't asking for Christians. They were looking for people from a certain place. So he got bunched over with the Muslims because of his accent. They made you say something. And then they divided you. And then they took off those other people. And, and he's convinced to kill them. And he was saved by his accent. That's just a day in the life. But you know, we live in a place... Where we might never get persecuted by anybody. But the question is, is that even possible? Doesn't the scripture say if you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted? And I'm not sitting here today thinking, my challenge isn't go find a way to get persecuted. Okay, I guess not my challenge today, okay? Like I said here if you get if you get punished for doing something stupid or wrong well then there's no glory in that But my question really is in our witness in our Christian lives are we living close enough to Jesus that there is a little godly offense in what we say and what we do Is there a light being shone Or do we just fit in? Is there really camouflage Christians? They are among you, but you don't know where they are. I mean, is that really what a Christian is? Or isn't a Christian someone who stands for the truth? And so I I say this to you because this this, uh, beatitude has no meaning if there's no persecution. This beatitude holds no blessing unless we understand that God has called us to live a certain kind of life. Now I want to tell you, we've been persecuted as a church in the past just for being stupid and obnoxious. That, that's hardly valuable, or hardly worth imitating. But see, if, if we are really standing up for what's right, and for the Bible being God's Word, Bring it on. It will make us better disciples and our witness even even clearer. He said in verse 19, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. See, the challenging news for us is simply this. If we really do good, we will be persecuted. If we do the good that God wants us to, there will be opposition. But you know, this doesn't mean, this isn't a standing life, it doesn't mean we're living in a death threat constantly. But it does mean that the world will take offense. Not because we did something wrong, but because we did something right. Let's not run from taking a stand for God. Let's not fear persecution. Let's instead just devote ourselves to doing what is good and accept whatever God allows to happen. Amen.